1: the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. On 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence.
0: Welcome in. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented... By Firehouse Subs, Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Reaction Monday. Thank you once again to Boogie Huntley for hanging out with us in today's edition of the Garnet Trust Hour. I have that episode up for you a little bit later on on the 107.5 The Game podcasting page. I was just thinking about it. We've yet to get a full position group to come through here. We've had two defensive linemen, Mm -hmm. two running backs, two quarterbacks, two DBs. Got two DBs in here. You counting Luke as a quarterback? Yeah, or... count Luke as a quarterback. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's what he is. So we're getting close to completing a whole group. We haven't just we haven't done it yet. Well, we've had. Yeah, we haven't had XL yet. We had Debo. We haven't had Stone. Have we had Stone? We have, we've had Stone. Stone. Okay. Back in the day, it's been a while. All right. So we got the two starting. We got some starters. We got starters. Um, we will get Tonka and what? Nick Barrett. That'll be most of the defensive interior defensive line, at least. Nate hey, Barrett's a low-key guy. Boogie for president, is all I got to say. You know what? I brought that up to him. He's not opposed to public office. Jay Phillips would be so happy. He could win, for sure. Love Boogie. Love that guy.
2: Did fantastic, as always. But we ha- so we have had... We had Tanner Bailey, too. So we had... Ooh, more. Okay, so more quarterbacks, then. Yeah. We had Spencer Rattler, Luke Doty, Tanner Bailey. We just need... Lenoris, and that's your top four on the depth chart, you would no. say, even though they don't fill it out that far.
0: I think so. We got we got one more puzzle piece for quarterbacks then. Yes. Come on in, Lenoris. Hey. We've we we've tried. Yeah. Not hard enough. Not hard enough. <laughs> we, hey, we still got seven more weeks of the regular season.
3: Lenoris yes. is a lot for next year. I guarantee we will get him on the show. Guarantee, that's a Chris Clark yeah, guarantee. i personally have to resign or something if we can't get him in here but he'll he'll be here
0: but uh, obviously good insight from boogie uh, you know getting prepared coming off a of bye week getting prepared for florida this upcoming weekend and, and he did some, was talking about something that Preston Thorne mentioned on uh the early game the other day with bill and you know what the bye week allows you to do they do have three practices monday through wednesday of last week and while you're not focusing on a specific opponent that upcoming weekend you can really hone in on your technique and doing little specific things right getting those kind of things better and Then, of course you have the rest of the week where you have a couple of days off for the physical and the mental rest which he also said was very beneficial and you know we're hoping that they came out this weekend and look like a fresh and and ready ready to go team for the final seven games I I think the bye week in terms of getting
2: healthy is just as important for the guys that we haven't been talking about all year long you know because we've talked about this 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 past week but those guys are dealing with bumps and bruises and uh they're dinged up too and beamer in the sec teleconference last week he mentioned some of the guys that actually haven't even been mentioned on the injury report one of them being boogie huntley yep. and um you know it's hey we, we got guys uh, he mentioned trey knox you know we, we knew preseason trey dinged up his knee but he's played throughout the year and Tonka Hemingway, a guy that that Beamer mentioned last week, is just being dinged up. So I I think for those guys to just, you know, Spencer Rattler, just getting hit so many times, you know the number of times you get hit in a given season kind of piles up. We've talked all year about pass pro issues and how many times that's gotten Rattler hit. So I think just kind of getting the young guys some extra reps, you know, maybe Knox takes some, you know, a few reps off Boogie can take a few reps off stuff like that, even during those three practices and then just a physical and mental reset after that. I think it's massive. I, th- I think we've seen South Carolina play pretty well coming off of buys or, or just coming off of kind of using this time to tweak what they're doing. Maybe you eliminate a couple things, maybe you add a couple things and That's been a big key for Beamer's first two years is just being able to finish on on a high note for the most part. And so I'll I'll be curious to see going into this week, my my initial thought on South Carolina, Florida, is what do we see new Mm -hmm. coming out of the bye week? We know they're not going to reinvent everything, but Beamer even hinted to the fact that there are going to be some new things to the extent that he said he's not going to tell us what they are. (laughs) which means, to me, they're at least noteworthy enough that he doesn't want Billy Napier and the Florida staff knowing either. Yeah, and I got that question this morning on the Insiders
3: Forum, Gamecock Central. Hey, what do you think those things are going to be? Is it going to be? uh, I'll unpack it a little bit. But the, the overall answer is I don't know yet, right? But it was is it going to be scheme or is it going to be personnel or is it going to be a combination of both? And so the, the only answer that I definitely had was I do think it'll be a combination of both. Now, like you said, Wes, it's not going to be a – I don't think it'll be a reinventing of the wheel. They're not going to come out and be running the wing T all of a sudden offensively or something like that. It might even be some schematic things that offensively, defensively, on special teams, maybe they're not even as noticeable. Maybe they are, you know, but to, to the naked eye. Maybe they're just running a, you know, a few different, maybe they're running a few more gap scheme runs instead of zones, things like that. Personnel, I think those may be more noticeable. Maybe some guys may be playing less at certain spots. Some guys may be playing more at certain spots or have a slightly altered role. Remember, we got into that last week a little bit of, Shane Beamer had that very interesting comment on the teleconference about how guys were going to be, Wes, you'll have to kind of put it in the correct phrasing, but you know, they might be playing in a, in a different role within their role or or something of that nature. It kind of got us wondering what exactly that means. So there could be some differences in personnel and there could be some kind of schematic philosophical uh, shifts too. And and he's very much
0: hinted at those things and alluded to them. Well, and we talked specifically about the offense and obviously dialogue is coming into the season, having not called plays at the college level yet, you now have a five week sample size to go back and look at and assess what was good, what was bad, what needs to be changed. And again, having those extra days, with the bye week, can give you more time to dive specifically in what you're doing and what you can change going forward, whether that be scheme or personnel, like you said. And, and while it may not be noticeably different right out of the gate against Florida, if they feel like they can do small things a little bit better, hopefully that proves to be beneficial over these next seven games. Yeah, and I I, I think the, the
2: quote from Beamer was, are there guys that have been playing that maybe would be better suited to play somewhere different at that position? Yes. and. Okay. We, we we don't know is that a softened way of saying uh playing just less like hey you're playing at this position we're gonna ease you back a little mm-hmm. bit or is that kind of similar to what we saw with like nikki mawari he's still playing defensive back but they played him at nickelback against tennessee when he's played safety for the uh i mean really his entire career i think so I think there, there's a lot of different ways this could go. It's a lot of different things that could mean. Some of the tweaks, if you're sitting in the stands on Saturday, you're probably not going to notice whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And even the personnel stuff, if you're not sitting there, kind of <laughs> going over in your head, oh, this guy's in at interior defensive line now. How many snaps has this guy been in? If you're if you're not like kind of almost keeping a tally as the game progresses, you may not notice those until after the fact either. I noticed something every single time when I rewatch the game on TV that I didn't notice just watching it live because there's so much going on in a football game. I think that's what makes it fun. But, you know, I, I do think you've seen South Carolina get kind of creative at, at times in the past. There are some options here of different things you can do. You know, I, I always thought the move last year to, to put Nate Atkins in as sort of a personal protector in passing situations was a big move for South Carolina. You know, is there is there something similar to that that you can do? Um, I do think the good thing if you're a Gamecock fan out there is you do have some options. Like you've not you've not used all your possibilities on offense and defense. There are some maybe some new things you could try moving forward, and then you're probably going to eliminate some things you've done as well. Yeah, th- and that that's
3: kind of the fascinating part about this is. Um, what, what do you eliminate? What do you lean in more to what do you lean in more to what um, what are the personnel moves you could make? you know um, I'm kind of fascinated by all of it because we've seen some little tweaks that have worked in the past to your point Wes you mentioned earlier Shane Beamer, you know his teams have played pretty well through the first two years after Bowie so they're two and0 after the open dates here one, in South Carolina, one of those against florida and 21 florida uh, you know you you lose to a&m by i think 30 points you have the open week you go and beat florida 40 to 17 at williams bryce last year you won before the bye week you beat you go to lexington you beat kentucky you have the open week try to keep the momentum going and then you're able to score a very exciting win against texas a&m at home and so you that was that was a heck of a three weeks right for your program so you're coming off a loss this time. And one thing, and we talked to Boogie a little bit about this last hour, Beamer has been pretty good not only after open weeks, but he's been good when his team's kind of been counted out, right? There are some people that have kind of folded up their tent for the season because of how the first five games have gone. And, you know, maybe don't do that yet. See how the rest of this thing plays out because he he has been pretty good uh, in those scenarios, but obviously this
2: weekend is is a big test toward, toward seeing how they respond. I do think it's kind of interesting the fact that the Tennessee series for South Carolina, you look at two years ago, Tennessee beat South Carolina pretty handily in Knoxville. The same thing happens in Knoxville this year. South Carolina, we all know, crushed Tennessee at home last year. If you go back two years ago, South Carolina – Crushes Florida and Columbia. Fast forward, last year, <clears throat> probably worst game of the year for South Carolina. That or or Missouri, maybe, just for as far as what it, it meant and kind of how it played out. But pro- probably, yes, the ugliest game of the year for South Carolina. And, uh, you know, we all know they bounced back after that. But will this one have a similar sort of just a hey, home, home team kind of controls the, the game and and smashes the away team just like we've seen in uh you know with, with Tennessee as well like for for the first two games of the Beamer era against Florida that is how it's played out
0: well and Florida's just not a good team on the road under Billy Napier they've got one win in the past year and a half and that was against A&M their loss against Utah in week number one on the road now the defense did play well but their offense was pretty inept that night and then uh, despite looking great against tennessee in the swamp they go into lexington last weekend and look awful and get run all over by ray davis so they're just a completely different team on the road and hopefully that plays into a factor of south carolina winning on saturday
2: yeah and that that feels to me like it's not nothing like sometimes these stats get skewed because oh you're well you're playing amazing teams on the road then you're playing uh terrible teams at home and it's just kind of that's oh well that's why this Florida team, they just have not played well. Like, you know, sometimes you can say, oh, they lost, but you can be like, well, they they just, they just played a good game, but they got beat by a better team. Right. They have played, at times, awful on the road, which is something that now has become a thing, I think. You look at, uh, you know, kind of look on the message boards, even the commentary, the Kentucky game when I was watching it, the SEC Network guys were talking about it, and so... Now that it's a thing, it maybe becomes even more of a thing.
0: Right. We'll continue to peek a little bit ahead of Florida as today's edition of the GameCock Central takeover hour presented by Firehouse Subs rolls on here on a reaction Monday on the game.
1: It's the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. In Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. And to be quite honest, I mean, I think they're embar- they were embarrassed a little bit. You know, I mean, I think there was an element to that that they... Yes they wanted to get back in there and play again, you know, and, and make a statement that that's not who they are, right? So, and look, I think the staff felt the same way. So, you know, today was there was a lot of good out there. I think it, we got to keep things in perspective. we got to understand that bigger challenges are ahead. Um, and we got to really, one of the big challenges for our team is to go play well on the road. You know, I mean, I think that's what's next for us, and uh, next week we'll present that challenge for us.
0: Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler West and Chris with you on this Reaction Monday. That was the voice of Billy Napier, head coach of the Florida Gators, talking about their 38-14 to 14 win over Vanderbilt this past weekend down in the Swamp. As you mentioned, they're looking to get back on track when it comes to winning road games. They head into williams Bryce Stadium this weekend to take on the Gamecocks. Depending on where you look South Carolina is either a one-point favorite all the way up to a two and a half or three-point favorite. Regardless, it's a very, very tight line. And ESPN's Football Power Index basically has this as a pick'em. It's expected to be a tight game. When you talk about South Carolina and what the rest of their schedule is, you know, we hate to say must-win game, but this is one of we're, the ones that you're not. We're not <laughs> saying it. You can't let slip through your fingers if you want to get to that six-win mark to get yourself to the postseason.
2: Yeah, I mean, probably. Mm-hmm. But we we would have said that last year, and then South Carolina turns around and beats Tennessee and Clemson. Like we, every everybody was sitting there saying, "Oh, you know, this is a, you know, this is a team that basically um, is going to finish six and six, and then boom, boom." Like I, got, I feel like you can't, as much as you want to, you can't play the season out by saying, "Oh, this is now a win, this is now a loss, this is a win." Kentucky last week, you would have been saying man, Kentucky is a team that is going to be fairly f- heavily favored, um, at least in context of what you would think of with South Carolina and Kentucky in Columbia over the game. And then you watch them and what they, I mean, great pick by me that Kentucky <laughs> would knock off Georgia. Uh, y'all nailed that one that Georgia was going to wake up and, you know, say, hey, we <sharp> are the number one team in the country. Let's go show it. But now you're, I mean, it goes from like, all right, Kentucky is one of the surprise stories of college football so far to literally I saw a video clip of Stoops talking about Devin Leary, like basically, you know, kind of go, going as strong as you will see a coach he's, go about their quarterback. He's calling them out. They're not calling not them out. Well. And then somebody, uh, somebody responds on Twitter to that clip and says, oh, looks like there's trouble in Lexington. And I'm like, Gu- guys, one week ago, <laughs> we were ready to, to crown Kentucky as being the surprise team in, in the East maybe. So, uh, you know, so that, that game maybe comes back down to being somewhat of a, of a coin flip as well. So I, I don't think you can get too far ahead, but certainly is this a game if you're South Carolina just to get back a three and three, get back to even, you know, I, I think it, it actually to me is much like the Mississippi State game. You said, look, this is an opportunity This is a team that you are going to have similar talent to. It's at your place. You play well at your place. If you win the game, you're back to 500. That was the same case with Mississippi State. And then, you know, let, let's go see where you can take it from here. If you're sitting there at two and four, then, yeah, it's, it's a very, you've like dug yourself such a big hole that it's hard to get out of the hole to even start climbing the hill especially basically. with the schedule that
3: they have remaining right you don't look at the back half of the schedule and say oh it tapers off a little bit there's some no like it if anything this schedule has probably the back half of it is probably more difficult than we anticipated it was going to be right when i when i look at some of the games that we watched this past weekend missouri is going to be i still think an incredibly difficult game they can score they have a, a defense is pretty salty at times a and m has a and m has kind of a, a kryptonite to south carolina which is defensively they've been good but they also cause tons of negative plays tackles for loss sacks alabama just made a bunch of special plays in that game offensively to, to counteract it you've got kentucky right you've got a vandy team that won't be a pushover. you got clemson i mean this is an incredibly difficult schedule so i'm with you west i don't like the the must win but it just gives you such a tough hill to climb if you can't get this one.
2: I just feel like must-win gets overused all the time. Like, yeah. everything can't be must-win.
0: But... was <laughs> well, not technically th- everything must-win at the end of the day? Don't you always want to win every single game?
2: Yeah. Technically speaking? Yeah, that's Want to though.
0: win is very different than must-win, <laughs> must
2: right? Very different. Right. How does want to win become must-win? I just feel like that's... You, mu- you must want to win. Yeah, that's, that's different. Different. I, I think every... Just right now in college football and in, in all sports, we wanna we we want to put so much emphasis on every single. Oh, that's the end of the world. You know, the the Braves are apparently out of the playoffs now, from what I've read on Twitter, because yeah. they lost one
3: oh. one but, game. But but Wes, what on Wes Mitchell GC on Twitter before game one? I did I did say I saw the Braves have got to get game
2: one. So yeah. wasn't that, was that a must that's win? Not a must win though. <laughs> They got to. They got to get game one is to tonight. A must
0: win. I mean, there's until you're done. There's no such thing. this is true. Well, um, true. well, I, I, that depends. If if you're zero and two going into game three, that, that's a must win. If if you li- if your season is literally over because you lose a
2: game, <laughs> then yes, yeah, for your season, must it's must win. So, but so everything else that we want to say must win is not must win. Must win is is just thrown around way too much. It is. I feel like is it an important football game this weekend for South Carolina? Absolutely. Is it a very winnable game? Yeah. Is it a game I think they will win? Yes. But must win is just like dramatic. I feel like because you know Mississippi State was must win according to some people. Sure. You can't you can't have hundred must win games. They can't all be must win. I feel like. Did
3: we learn anything? From Florida's game over Vandy or no? Not really. Tyler turned his nose up at it. So here, here's one thing that I, here's one thing that I learned. So Graham Mertz, this will be in my keys to the game. This is an early Monday preview. Graham Mertz is leading the SEC in completion percentage. He was thirty of thirty six against Vandy. Uh, well, he had two touchdowns to their tight end, who has the best name in the SEC, too. Arliss yeah. Boardingham. Phenomenal name. The run game also. Um, shout out to our guy on Gervais Street, who has a Falcons hat. Tyler would appreciate that. I don't. Um, but, but Graham Mertz has been good in terms of completion percentage. Big play guy. No. Yep. And I know it's Vandy. But they they took care of business. in a thirty-eight fourteen game. Yeah, they, they beat him.
0: They beat them how
3: they were supposed to be. They beat them how they were supposed to. So maybe we didn't learn a lot, but I do think, you know, generally make Mertz beat you. Like that's an early key to the game because we saw last season South Carolina did not stop the run nearly well enough. And Tyler, you pointed out they did this last Saturday without, um,
1: Montere Trevor Etienne. I mean, or, yeah, yeah, Sorry, without Etienne
3: or, or Trevor Etienne. Um, But this team has been different on the road. They've been bad on the road, this team being Florida. Bad on the road, they're not even good at neutral sites. They got destroyed in their bowl game in 2022 by Oregon State. So it's a thing until it's not.
2: Yeah, it's a thing. I I would love to see the SEC Stat Cat uh, opinion on Graham Mertz because he, he very much dislikes quarterbacks who make up all their stats by throwing short passes. Right and based on what I've seen, I, I haven't seen enough of their games to say for sure that this is all it is, but it, it feels like there's a lot of short passes he's, in this Florida passing
0: game. So, StatCap put out the percentages last week of number of throws either at or behind the line of scrimmage, and I can't remember if Merch was number one, but he's definitely in, like, the top three. Yeah, that's so. not a top three you want to be in yeah. either, I, I feel like. So, so y'all are unimpressed. I mean, well, how imp- again, how impressed can you be with a Vandy win? Like, again, you beat them the way you were supposed to beat them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and now, I, they, they him, didn't lose to them They beat like them like s- they did last year. If they beat
0: them <laughs> 70 to nothing, and it's like, okay, that's – like, I mean, wow, okay. Yeah, right, yeah, right. I mean, right. You, be, you beat them by 24 points. It's kind of what you were supposed to do. I think especially knowing you go into this game,
2: if you're Napier, if you're that coaching staff, you have your guys' attention. Like, yeah. it's not a roll into Vandy where you're <laughs> – you know, you've just been killing teams and you're like – uh, we're gonna we're just gonna beat Vandy by showing up, and sure. then you kind of have that letdown game. No, you're you're coming off of a game where you kind of just got embarrassed at Kentucky, so it, it didn't feel like a letdown game for Florida. I think Vandy kind of, I, th- I think Florida took out some of their frustrations on Vandy a little bit, but I. <sighs> the th- here's the thing to me about Florida. I don't know if they really do much of anything that just scares you. And, like, I I looked at that Tennessee game for South Carolina, and you could find a lot of things that you're <laughs> like, well, this scares you, well, this scares you. You know, and it was kind of like South Carolina is going to need to win the turnover battle to win this game. They're going to need some kind of, Chris used the word special plays, talking about Alabama. Mm-hmm. You're going to need Leggett to go up over top of a guy and make a great play. If you kind of play Florida evenly, I think you can still beat them. Like, you don't need anything extra to happen. Can South Carolina lose to Florida? Of course. Sure. But I don't think they do anything necessarily that just scares you from a dynamic standpoint.
0: We'll continue to dive into that matchup as the week goes along. Again, Gators and Gamecocks coming up Saturday at 3.30, which you can listen to right here on the game. We'll take a look around the SEC and what we did see happen this past weekend. Coming up, you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on a reaction Monday on the game.
1: talking about sponsored by love Chevrolet on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia 107.5 the game also heard on 100.3 the game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 the game in Florence and they are in Will field goal range low snap no had to go down to get it look out from behind throws got it to Burton touchdown Alabama
0: Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. This is Brad Nestler on the call for CBS on Saturday. Alabama defeating Texas Stadium 26 to 20 to improve to 5-1 and on the season. You know, it was right out a month ago. I think we had all left Alabama for dead after that loss to Texas uh, in Bryant-Denny Stadium. They've now won every single game since looking as strong as ever on defense and I mean, no reason to think they can't run the table the rest of the season and being an 11 1 team in the SEC championship game, uh, again, despite where we thought they were a month ago. Well,
2: they've gone a little bit back to their old school Mm -hmm. Nick Saban roots, running the football. Now, in this case, you have a quarterback who has the aspect of at least presenting the ability to run the football, playing defense, you know, hitting passes when you need to, but. I mean, I'll, I'll credit them, man, because they have sort of said, "Look, here's what we do. Here's what we do well. Here's what we maybe don't do that well. Let's let's kind of focus on what we do." And uh, you know, they've made good adjustments so far, and you know, they put themselves in a position. That was a that was a good football game on Saturday, back and forth, uh, tight game. Anytime you go to A and I mean, we we're talking about South Carolina having to go there. That that honestly is the one game I circle for South Carolina and just say. I don't see it like I I don't I don't think there's a great chance at all that they win that game so for Bama even with some of their flaws this year to go in there and win this game uh, I thought was was very impressive and anytime you try to bury those guys they 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 tend to
0: bounce back and that was the best performance we would seen out of Milrow all year 320 yards three touchdowns two of which went to Jermaine Burton who just exploded for 197 yards and two of those touchdowns um, on Saturday, but again, A and M, you know, did, despite not having Connor Wegman, uh, Max Johnson stepped up and and pl- has played well, and the, obviously we know the defense is really really good. So they kept him in it there down to the end, and that one touchdown getting called back that would have made it a twenty six twenty four game with three minutes to go, and A and M still having three timeouts, not being able to get that touchdown after it gets called back, ended up coming out coming back to bite them there in the end.
2: Yeah, so I was two TV watching, and um. I want to make sure I have my details correct here. So they they so they end up kicking the field goal there after. Yeah.
0: So they essentially got the ball like the two. Yeah, Bama held them out of the end zone. They got the field goal. So still only down one score, but then just couldn't get the ball back. Yeah. Would Would you have? Did, did they make the right
2: decision to kick the field goal and cut it to? One score, or I, I always feel like coaches feel like they have to kick the field goal in those situations. When yeah. really you need you need to now only need the field goal moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things like you'd rather get the hardest part out of the way first, and yes. then like okay, we get the ball back now. We only got to drive for a field goal. So yeah, and again, they thought they had the touchdown, but it ends up getting called back because his foot's out of bounds at the two yard line. But you know, it's kind of one of those things. I can see it going either way. I don't. I'm not against. Going for the field goal. But again, now you've made your life a little bit harder if you do get the ball back.
2: Yeah. And I obviously, you got to get the ball back. That's a a big part of it. And so. To, to me, it's one of those things, if you go for it there and you don't get it, people are going, oh, why didn't you kick the field goal? And you kind of have to well, deal with the repercussions it, of that. It, but. It's
0: almost like you want people to continue to have hope for longer. <laughs> yes. Okay, we'll get the field goal. Now we're only down one score. If we get the ball back, then we have a chance, as opposed to, uh, yeah. oh, we didn't get it. Now we're down two scores. Now the game's over.
2: Yeah, when, when really really you're, I think, increasing your chances to actually win is probably just, hey, let, let's go for it here, right? and uh, let's get the touchdown. and. And give ourselves a little bit better of a chance, but uh, you know that that call could go either way. But there are certain calls that could not go either way, and everybody here should know what I'm talking about. Do you 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 have the clip? Give me a play it, please. please Do because yeah, just just play it. Let's.
1: Hey, like you should not be handing this football off. I don't know what
3: Miami is doing.
1: That's it. Tech has it with 26 seconds left. Here's King from the pocket, flushed to his right with six, five, gonna loop it downfield. And ball is caught. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. With one second to go in the ball game, Christian Leary.
0: Uh, West Durham on the ACC network on Saturday night. Number 17, Miami, hands the game over to Georgia Tech, who ends up winning with that last-second touchdown. Um, for those that didn't see it, under a minute to go, clock is running, Miami has a 20 to 17 lead. All they have to do is kneel it. Georgia Tech does not have any more timeouts, sit on it, let the clock run out, walk away with the victory. Instead, they decide to run the ball, fumble it, and yes, Tech went down the field in those last couple seconds and got a last second touchdown to win the game. I I mean, it's unreal. More importantly, under forty seconds, yes. to go. So that that would have that was the last play they had to run because it was under forty seconds. Clocks running, tech can't stop it. You sit on it. Game's over.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know what explanation did, you could possibly have. Did you watch Chris Ball's post game? Oh, I, I have that too. I I saw the transcript. I saw
0: the quotes. Right. From, you, you want to go ahead and play cut nine? This is Mar- uh, Miami head coach Mario Cristobal on what happened there.
1: And when the drive started, it was going to be at 157, you know, and um, we were about 127 off, and then it was recalibrated. Um I should take a timeout right there at the end. Thought you could get the first down, and we talked about two
0: hands on the ball, but that's not good enough to take it again. That's it from the wall twenty five. Two plays. But you didn't need the first down. That's the
3: thing. He they asked he he got uh, at least one follow-up question and said we should have kneeled. Like he 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 did eventually finally bottom line it. Right.
0: The question we did get an answer to is why? Why did you do that? Well, apparently this is common for yes. him. Yes. He actually had the same scenario play out at Oregon back in 2018. He's not. I don't think. I don't think he's ever like actually called for a kneel to end the game. He always tries to run it. So Dan Hawkins, back. You remember Dan Hawkins,
3: Colorado, Boise State. He wouldn't kneel it at the end of games. Now there can be some scenarios where, like if you're up by thirty points. Yeah, if this is run a twenty a play. point game. Nobody sure. cares. But this is like, you can literally end the game. Like I, I he either there's two options that I see. You either didn't think about it, which is a big problem, <laughs> <laughs> or you did think about it and decided, I don't know which one's the bigger problem. You did think about it, and you were like, and I really feel like Mario Cristobal may have been trying to be football guy. You know what I mean? We, we don't kneel. We play the play out. We play the game out. So, <sighs> I mean, which one of those is it, and which one's the biggest problem? Bigger problem?
0: You know, th- this all stems because Miami wore black uniforms, and black's not in their color palette. I completely blame it on that. So, all right, let let's have some nuance about it, though. Let's, because let's let's save this. Let's wrap okay. up, okay, with okay. more details of this because this this deserves a deeper dive. Okay, we'll hit that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the Game.
1: It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, Columbia 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence.
0: Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on a Reaction Monday. Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you a couple more minutes ago go before... Myself and Colin Taylor jump in for the halftime show from noon until 3. Continue to break down what Mario Cristobal did on Saturday night at the end of the Miami-Georgia Tech game. And it's funny, you talk about, you know, if this fumble doesn't happen or if they're up by 20 points, we're not talking about this. An almost similar situation could have happened in the Alabama game earlier on in the day. People may have forgotten about this. Alabama, of course, has the lead, 26-20, running out the clock on first and ten. At the A&M 27, Jalen Milrow throws an incomplete pass to Malik Benson. A&M does not have any more timeouts left. Alabama should have ran the ball. Now, of course, it's an incomplete pass, didn't get intercepted intercept or anything like that. But they put the ball in danger, similar to the way that Miami did, only it didn't go the wrong way for Alabama.
2: It Was that an RPO that he just, his his brain just read it I th- as probably. a throw? Uh, and then everybody's like, what are you doing Game time situation here? Like, what? You
0: know? I think so. Because Saban was obviously ticked. Yeah, because I think he just kind of got lost in, in where yeah. he was. Because it's like, yeah, that's, that's not the right call there, buddy. Yeah, because uh, didn't
2: didn't Tank run out of bounds for Auburn? And that's what got yep. Bryce Young the yes. ball back? Yep. It was. Uh, and that was another one. At the time, you're kind of like, uh, you know, sure they're still, they're pro- still probably not going to – Alabama's not going to take advantage of this, and they drive all yeah. the way down the field
0: and score. Because that actually set up Alabama on the last play of the game. There were seven seconds left on a fourth down. Yeah. They just had to run around, waste enough time, and then throw the ball out of bounds. So, again, that could have been avoided if you just run the ball on first down instead.
2: Yeah, so here – so the added context and nuance to this. So Dan Walken tweeted, hey, this guy – Never nils, and so you go back. But you're like, okay, yeah, maybe true. But the examples he gives: Miami is beating Miami of Ohio thirty-eight to three. Okay, it doesn't matter if you nil or not. Miami is beating Boston College forty-eight to seven. Okay, it doesn't matter if you nil. So, you know, most coaches maybe just run a play there anyway. Nobody blinks twice. Well, and then people said, hey, this happened. At Oregon, they fumbled. They end up going to overtime against Stanford a number of years ago. Well, in that case, they did. It was already second and two. Mm -hmm. They needed a first down to complete the process of running out the clock. So people can point that out as, oh, this has happened before. No, every coach tries to get the first down, especially if it's second or third and two in that situation. So, yes, that was bad at the time that you fumbled in that spot. That should have, I would think, have been a reminder <laughs> of, hey, this can happen. You can fumble late in a game situation. But in my opinion, it's still not the same situation. I have no problem with my coach saying we need two yards to end the game. Every coach in America yeah. is going to run the ball there. Should yeah. yeah. So that that's that's not a problem. It's a problem when there's less than 40 seconds left. The opponent does not have a timeout. And it is not fourth down. It Like, I I don't – we're talking off air. There, there are all types of situations where you say, I disagree with that call. Sure. But then the coach is like, well, we were thinking this, this, and this, and this. And you say, well, I may not a- agree with it, but at least there was logic. At least there was thought. At least you can sort of say, well, I see what they were saying. I see what they were thinking. Right. In this case, how many times have we ever seen a coach literally – put his team in a position to lose the game and this is their first loss they were undefeated how do you look your team in the eyes in the locker room after making that call is is what i wonder yeah how do you explain the decision
3: i'm sure he'll be asked about it more and more sure you know and, and and i i want to hear an explanation of of what the thought process was like Wes said what i don't see any logic in it but what was the logic that they were trying to apply? Uh, there were lots of – I do remember seeing the shots on the sideline from the broadcast. Coaching staff was talking before it. Sure. It kind of talking pretty, you know, not frantically, but they, they were talking. Not, everybody wasn't super calm. And so was there, was there some kind of confusion on the clock? I mean, there had to be something. I mentioned Dan Hawkins, y'all. Here's the scenario in 2003 when he was coaching at Boise State. This didn't end up biting them. But they had a 20-14 to 14 lead against Tulsa with 49 seconds left and could have run out the clock. Instead, they uh, scored a touchdown. Then Tulsa scored 11 seconds later to cut it to 27-20, and, and they tried an onside kick. Now, they didn't get it, Ooh. but Dan Hawkins was asked about it, and he said, if we had knelt on the ball at the end of the game, wouldn't it have been the end of the game? Yes, it would have been, but Gandhi didn't take a knee. Martin Luther King didn't take a knee. Thomas Edison didn't take a knee. I'm sure not going to take one. So that's his logic. Um, Football guy. Man. We're not taking knees around here. What is Thomas Edison? Really? (laughs) That's the one I didn't get. I didn't get (laughs) get the first two, but. We got light bulbs to invent, guys. We can't take knees around here. How how
0: have I never heard that quote? (laughs) Why is that not on a T-shirt? That that is a brilliant business idea. <laughs> I I don't know if
3: anybody would get it. Like, look, what does that T-shirt say? Thomas Edison a, didn't take a knee. I'm that, not going that's, to. That's
0: that's the bar for football guy right there for sure.
2: Didn't did, did I dream this or didn't Kevin Still have a moment like this at Baylor? Probably because they the went like one in eleven. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Kevin Still's been everywhere. Putting Alabama 87 times. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like that was a thing where there was a late fumble when they could have run the clock out and they ended up losing. But Oh, I did. I found
0: it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Save, good. Save that for another day. How to do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on Reaction Monday. Coming up next, myself and Colin Taylor for the Halftime Show taking you from noon until 3 right here in the game.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty,